This episode is brought to you by One Snowmass Residence Club, located in the heart of the new Snowmass Space Village. This limited collection of ski and scout residences lets you choose any ownership plan that fits your family's lifestyle. With two, three, and four bedroom options available, you can select the size that makes sense for you and how much time you want to spend in Snowmass. Customize the perfect ownership with guaranteed use at specific times of the year, plus unlimited use of three additional types of long or short-term reservations. And the revolutionary exit strategy allows you and the other owners in your shared residence to voluntarily sell the unit as whole ownership and distribute the proceeds proportionally. An online reservations portal, housekeeping, and concierge services plus resort-style amenities means smarter mountain living. To learn more, visit onesnowmassresidenceclub.com. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christian Knapp. This is Selling the Mountains, a show about the booming mountain town real estate economy and unique personalities fueling it. Each episode is an insider's perspective on market trends, lifestyle, success stories, and the ups and downs of homeownership in the mountains. Christian Knapp is the former chief marketing officer of Aspen Skiing Company and a lifelong mountain town enthusiast. He is an accomplished marketing and sales leader who has worked for the top resorts in North America, including Aspen, Vail, Breckenridge, and Keystone. Currently, Christian is an independent consultant and principal at Moment of Truth, a boutique marketing firm specializing in brand development, strategic planning, and digital execution. All opinions expressed by Christian and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the companies or clients they represent. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for real estate investment decisions. My guest today is Andy Gunyan. Andy is the managing partner of East West in the Roaring Fork Valley. East West Partners has developed some of the world's top resort in urban communities, hotels, and office buildings. They've earned a reputation for innovation and design, from the famed escalators of Beaver Creek to the iconic train canopy of Denver's Union Station. Andy has been with the company for 17 years and took over the Snowmass Base Village development four and a half years ago. During that time, the Limelight Hotel and Residences was completed, anchoring an entirely reimagined village core and community gathering place. Under Andy's leadership, the team at East West and Slifer Smith and Frampton sold out the Viceroy residences, Lumen Condos, The Havens, One Snowmast East and West, launched a new residence club, and most recently broke ground on Electric Pass Lodge. In our conversation, we covered the vision, partnership, and opportunity it took to resurrect the unfinished base village development. While not every resort warrants a village, those that do should carefully heed lessons from the past combined with the right lifestyle components, residential units, and local operators focused on the true user experience. Finally, we talked about what it took to engineer and launch Electric Pass Lodge, a first of its kind, all electric ski in, ski out residence, 100% powered by renewable energy. I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Andy. This episode is sponsored by SH Building Group. The experienced team of professionals at SH Built consists of client, site, accounting, subcontractor, design, and craft building specialists. They integrate the latest construction management technology and offer home guardianship services and advanced inspections. Tom Sherlock and his team helped remodel my home, and their attention to detail was unsurpassed. Start planning a project today. Visit shbuilt.com or call 970-923-1122 and tell them you heard about them on Selling the Mountains.
Yeah. So right out of college, I went to work for basically an investment bank back east, uh, which was interesting and exciting, but I wasn't really passionate about it. So kind of gave myself a reality check and said, what do I really want to focus on my uh, for my career? And at the time, my brother had just moved to Vail. Uh, so he encouraged me just to come out for a ski season and kind of enjoy myself and figure it out. And once I got out there, just was continuing to think about career opportunities. And at the time, we were in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s, uh, real estate boom there in Vail. Bachelor Gulch was being built, a lot of exciting projects, and just really became enamored with uh, the whole industry, the lifestyle, and uh, started exploring it and networking with, with people in Vail. And um, then connected with uh, the Vail Resorts Development Company, which at the time was the real estate development division of Vail Resorts, and was able to secure a job with them, uh, working on the financial forecasting for new projects and accounting for resort associations. And so it was really a great introduction to the business there with Vail Resorts. And then at the time, Vail Resorts was selling a lot of land to East West Partners up in Bachelor Gulch. And so I got to know Harry Frampton a bit through that connection um, and just stayed in touch with Harry over the years. And after I w went to business school for two years and after I came back, I uh, was able to secure a job with East West at that time. So then you spent a um, big part of your time with East West in the Vale Valley, getting to work on projects like the West End, which, by the way, is, is an amazing property. And that's a beautiful, beautiful um, result over there. What other projects um, are you most proud of that you completed over there before you came to the Aspen Snowmass area? Yeah, one of the other really interesting ones that I worked on early on for East West and Vale was the, the redevelopment of Manor Vale. And Manor Vale was one of the original old condominium buildings built at the base of Golden Peak there. And a phenomenal property, phenomenal location. It just really was quite aged and needed a complete makeover. But as you know, one of the big challenges with condominium properties is when a property gets to that point, often the association has not reserved enough funds to properly renovate or to upgrade the property to where they want it to be. So. Uh, we worked out a, a very innovative deal with them where we basically added a whole floor on top of this then 30, 40 year old building. Um, and the new floor was structurally independent. So if you can envision kind of this table that sits over the old building that holds up a new penthouse level, and then we integrated the facade all together. So you go there today and you would never know that this extra floor was added on that's structurally independent. Uh, with some amazing penthouses up top. And then with that, we were able to refurbish all of the exteriors for the HOA, new pool, new landscaping, uh, new lobby, and really upgraded that whole property. So I, that one was very unique, very challenging. And it's been replicated a few other times, but it, it's potentially a model, although a challenging one, uh, of how some of these older condominiums can upgrade to the extent they have the ability to do that type of expansion. So that, that one was very fascinating to work on. No, that's, that's, that's really interesting because, you know, like not a lot of old buildings probably can handle that additional square footage up above and, you know, obviously height limitations and uh, building codes and stuff probably play into that as well. But sounds like if you're able to monetize that addition, then you can really improve the whole project, right? Yeah, and it, it takes a very close partnership and alignment with the HOA, which is, is doable. But obviously, when you have a, I can't remember how many units are in Manorville, but I think it's 
hundred or so and very hard to get consensus right amongst a hundred people on anything, uh, let alone something that directly affects a major investment of theirs. So there's definitely challenges with it and you have to be very patient and, and work through the HOA board and really develop a partnership with the HOA to make it work. So after many years of success in the Vale Valley, I'm assuming Harry Frampton or somebody at the head, the highest levels in East West came to you and said, Hey, look, we're looking at this project over in Snowmass, Snowmass Base Village develop, you know, to take that on. Would you be willing and interested in, in making the move over there and leading that project? Is that how it went down or how did, how did you end up here in Aspen Snowmass area? Yeah. So Harry and his original crew of East West, you know, he started the company back in the mid eighties. Uh, he's told me he first looked at the base village project, I think in the early two thousands or maybe even late nineties at the time that it was originally being concepted and Aspen skiing company ended up partnering with IntraWest to start the project in the early two thousands. Um, so East West was not brought into it at that point. And then, uh, you know, it's long history with the project through the, the downturn financial crisis and also it stalled for a while. And, uh, we actually took another serious look at it in 2011, I believe. And that was when, uh, the debt had gone into some type of default situation. There was like five European lenders on it and they were basically looking for a, a buyer. So we put together a whole package flew to New York, presented to these five European banks, a big dog and pony show. They had translators for the banks. It was a very interesting scene. And at the time, we didn't know who else was in the mix of potentially trying to, you know, a quote, acquire from these banks, but uh, related was still very much in the mix. And uh, at the end of the day, the, those banks ended up just basically reworking a deal with related. So related stayed in at that time in 2011. And then sometime around 2015, we started talking with related. Uh, Dwayne Romero was running the project for them at the time. And uh, Dwayne is great. We have an amazing relationship with him. So we, we just kind of stayed in touch with them. We talked about, you know, could East West come in and buy one or two of the parcels? Um, and then it, those conversations just evolved to the point of, of potentially acquiring the entire project. And at the time I was working as CFO for the company. So I was kind of intimately involved in the pursuit of this. And once it all came together, which, which took a long time, it was a very complicated deal working with related, working with Deutsche Bank. Uh, but once that all came together, then uh, Harry asked me if I would be interested in heading this up. And it seemed like a kind of once in a lifetime opportunity to be able to finish a, an amazing ski resort village at the base of Snowmass. So I, I jumped right on it. I, I remember it well when you came to the Valley and, um, you know, and, you know, at the time it had to have been daunting. Uh, you know, I know you jumped into it with wholehearted ambitions, but I'm sure it was a little scary because that project had sat pretty much unfinished for a decade and, uh, and it was a challenge and it was an eyesore in Snowmass and, just trying to think through in that scale of getting it revitalized and getting it going and programmed and finding the right properties and the right uh, mix of retail and commercial. And, and it must've been a, a pretty daunting task. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, definitely daunting, and, but at the same time, exciting and uh, really an opportunity that I looked at is that here's this amazing resort with this incredible location and this village that's, as you said, just been this eyesore 
um, and, and really had been dragging down the entire town. Uh, psychologically, it, it, it drugged down the real estate market, I think. The market was just kind of stagnant in Snowmass versus Aspen. And so I, I viewed it as an opportunity to really try to turn this thing around and create something amazing. But at the same time, definitely a lot of worry of how are we going to make this work? Can we make it work? I mean, Related is an incredible development company. They do some of the most amazing projects in the country, Hudson Yards. And so scratching our heads a bit saying, well, if Related was struggling to make this work, how are we going to make it work? So definitely some concern there. But at the end of the day, this is East-West specialty. We kind of cut our teeth well before my time back in Beaver Creek, creating that village, created an amazing village at North Star and Tahoe. And we definitely try to avoid a cookie cutter approach. Every one of these villages is different, but just given that background and all of our roots in the ski industry and uh, connections with mountain resort communities and understanding the priorities of mountain resort communities and the challenges of seasonality, uh, we, we got enough confidence that we had, we had the background and the skills and the expertise and the resources to really pull this off. So help listeners understand a little bit. So your role as the managing partner in the East-West role is to build out and develop the village and operate the village. And then Aspen Skiing Company and KSL are financial partners? Yeah, that, that legally that's how it's structured. So we have a, a you know, LLC basically, and the three members are a, an affiliate of Aspen Skiing Company. It's not them directly, but it's effectively the same ownership. Um, KSL Capital Partners, who, for those who don't know, is a, a now sizable uh, private equity fund based out of Denver that focuses exclusively on resort leisure type businesses. And uh, one interesting sidebar is after we put this deal together for Snowmass with Aspen Skiing Company and KSL, they then ended up forming Altera, which, as many of your listeners may know, is now uh, one of the, the sizable companies owning you know, call it half the ski resorts in the country, uh, along with Vail Resorts. So that that whole relationship evolved beyond Snowmass. But at Snowmass, East West is effectively the managing partner of this this joint venture that we have. So we we manage the projects day to day. We have a lot of discretion to execute and and do what we do and leverage our expertise. But we're in constant communication with both partners and at an Aspen Skiing Company is a very unique partner. They're technically the, the financial partner, but uh, I have weekly calls with their executives staying in very close contact on everything from, you know, when, when's the gondola opening this summer and how did the village feel this weekend? Do we need to tweak this, that, or the other? Are we doing ice, when's the ice skating rink opening, closing? So there's a lot of operational interface with Skiko that is, I think, quite beneficial and so they bring a lot to the table beyond just a traditional capital partner. Hey, Andy, you mentioned that you know you guys in the East West, uh, you know, looked at some of these incredible base villages that you've built through the years, like Beaver Creek, an amazing village, uh, North Star Tahoe, also really well done. And I think your point about them not being cookie cutter is critical, right? You guys you know, watched what IntraWest did, you know, where they started replicating villages across the ski industry. And, you know, ultimately they felt a little, they felt a little generic, uh, I'd say. And the quality of the product at times maybe wasn't up to par for that particular resort or the right mix. And so ultimately that company had some issues and is no longer around. But why was East-West able to succeed in the villages they have gone into and, and here in Snowmass when some others have not been able to? Yeah, I think the first 
component of that is that not every ski resort needs a village. I think there's only a handful of them that can really support a village. And honestly, the most successful ones are where a, t- a real town like Aspen existed before the ski resort. Like that is basically impossible to replicate. And every developer basically has that in the back of their mind of like, how do we create this kind of Aspen feeling thing? But I, I don't think it's possible to replicate that, frankly. So you, you first have to look at, does this resort, does this d- destination warrant a village? And I think maybe in some cases, the, the ones that IntraWest worked on that weren't as successful potentially were resorts that, that didn't really need a village or didn't warrant a village. And then I think architecturally, they were a little too standardized in what they did. Like you, you could kind of feel that the minute you were in an interest, interest village, it kind of had the same feel and architecture and vibe. And by the way, I think they've, they've done some amazing work and I've never even been to Tremblant, which was their original prototype and everybody raves about. So I, I think they did some, some great things, but I think probably they pursued some that didn't need to be pursued. And then uh, I think it's really the architectural piece that gave it that cookie cutter feel. And then maybe a little bit with the tenant selection as well. That, you know, they, they kind of had certain tenants that they would say, okay, we need this this one here, this one here, and almost got had a mall type feel to it. And I, I won't say East West doesn't apply lessons learned. Like, you know, we learn things at every one of these villages. And I think some people from the outside may look at it and say, well, every one of your villages has an ice rink. That feels very cookie cutter. But we try to uh, approach it from just a clean slate. What is this place? Uh, what should this be? What's the opportunity? Uh, inevitably, you're going to end up with some commonalities across these villages, but we we try not to just have this this cookie cutter that we stamp on every one. But there are definitely some similar elements between them. So moving forward a few years, you know, you've now been here four and a half years, and you were able to work with Aspen Skiing Company, develop the Limelight Hotel as sort of the anchor of the new uh, expanded Snowmass Bay's Village. You got the ice rink going, you got the collective kind of the community gathering points, some new rental retail started, some of the other buildings and completed those. You know, flash forward to now, you've the incredible demand being fueled by the pandemic and this kind of mountain real estate boom has seen unbridled success for all the projects that you're working on. Have you ever seen anything like this in your career? Well, I was fortunate and unfortunate to experience the, call it the 050607 boom, followed by the 0809 bust. So I've kind of experienced a, a frenzied market before and famous last words, but this time does feel different. That That prior cycle to me was felt very much investor speculative fueled. Um, and there was a ton of supply as well in a lot of markets. You had a lot of new stuff coming on at the same time. And it felt, I, didn't, I mean, I was new to the business, but it just kind of felt like a bit of a bubble. And obviously we're seeing incredible demand now, but it at least feels to me like most of this demand is, is more fueled by true users. And sure, everybody who's buying uh, a second home is an investor to some degree. Nobody wants to lose money. And so people are being smart and looking at how can they get rental returns? What's the appreciation potential? Like everybody is going through that calculation, but it feels to me like the buyer that we're, that we're seeing today 
is more focused on on the lifestyle element, using the property. Uh, how does this fit into kind of their family legacy? So it, it feels more rooted, grounded, and sustainable than that last cycle. And uh, particularly in this market, in, in Aspen Snowmass, we don't have this incredible swell of supply that you saw in the last cycle. So, but, and those are really the only two in my career kind of major um, cycles that I've experienced. So, and it, there's obviously been infinite cycles before then, and somebody like Harry could give you more context on on how this particular upswing may compare to some of the ones before the the 050607 but in my experience that's how I would compare these two the supply point is is very notable right there is other than what's hap- been happening in Snowmass Base Village there really is no new supply uh, in the upper Roaring Fork Valley in Aspen and Snowmass area it's really you guys and you know and I think you mentioned kind of the run up to 0809 crash, there was a lot of supply coming. There was a lot of new intra-west villages being built out. There was um, kind of a, a lot of development across the mountain communities. And then everything went into recession and then the building boom really slowed down for the last decade. And so I think it seems like you guys are in a position to capitalize, we're in a position to capitalize on this, this trend and this boom uh, with new inventory that's high, highly desirable in a highly desirable market. Yeah, and I'd love to say we planned it that way, but um, as I've told my team, you know, the first few years in Base Village were not easy, and uh, we, we had to work very hard. That this project had basically had this huge black cloud over it. Right, it had been sitting dormant for the better part of a decade with rebar sticking out, and brokers and buyers had been burned on the first phases. There was a lot of animosity towards it. Uh, there was also a lot of people with hope and wanting to see it turn around, and we we had a lot of community support. So I, I've always told my team, like, we put in that hard work, um, and nobody could have predicted this uh, boom caused by the pandemic. But because of our hard work, you know, we if you take a surfing analogy, we, we got ourselves in shape, we had the right board, we were in the right spot, and when this wave came, we were ready to to catch it. But uh, certainly no, none of us could have predicted the wave. This episode is brought to you by Obermeyer Wood Investment Council, an independent investment advisory and financial planning firm based in Aspen and Denver with roots dating back to 1982. Their team of experienced investors, thoughtful financial advisors, and focused problem solvers have helped hundreds of individuals, families, and nonprofits identify and achieve goals using sound advice, careful planning, and clear communication. They are locally based experts, dedicated community members, and proud sponsors of Selling the Mountains. Obermeyer Wood would like to offer all listeners a complimentary, no pressure investment portfolio review with one of their experienced team members. To schedule a review or to learn more about their services, visit obermeyerwood.com. So between one snowmass and the successful sellout of so many of the projects you've been looking at or that you guys have been developing here in the snowmass area, you know, what does the the next 12, 24 months look like? Are, do you think this boom is going to continue or is this going to is it going to cool off? Uh, really impossible to predict. But if you look at the fundamentals and listen to the, the experts and whatnot, they 
they don't seem to be predicting or expressing the same type of caution that we did here back in the last cycle in 07. Uh, if you remember back then, there, there frankly were a lot of people that saying, look, this is clearly a, a bubble and we need to be careful here. Like there was a, there was an undertone that you kept hearing about that in the last cycle. And, you know, I'm not hearing that today. And I think, again, a lot of it is because we're not seeing the same level of supply. So, uh, you know, I'm not smart enough to predict what's going to happen with the overall macro economy, but I mean, you can pretty clearly look at least at this market and say, there's, there's not going to be this huge flood of supply. They're not making any new Aspen snow masses anytime soon. This is going to be a desirable place to be. So we're, we remain extremely bullish on the local market. And frankly, all of the markets we're working in right now are experiencing the same type of phenomenon. Some of them are not quite as supply constrained as, as here, but in terms of the demand, uh, it's coming in torrents at the moment. And if you look at the supply issue across the country, it, it goes beyond just the resorts. You know, home builders, for example, where, where a lot of the best data is, those guys never return to their prior levels of, of annual deliveries that they did before the, the 0809 bust. And there's a number of reasons for that. Um, costs have been a challenge. A lot of these communities have, it, it's so hard to get anything approved and entitled and especially in high quality communities. And so there, there's all of these supply constraint factors going on. Labor's a real challenge. So all of these supply constraining factors, I think, are going to are going to be supportive for pricing. But frankly, especially in the primary communities, something has to break that log jam because we need more homes, more apartments, more condominiums to get built. Uh, that's a big reason why we have affordability crisis in in all markets, particularly in resorts. Though, I think that's a really important statement, you know, and affordability is something we've been tackling on this show. Um, but I do want to, what, what communities, other mountain communities does East West uh, currently have projects going on? in? Yeah. So we, we currently have, uh, some ongoing projects in the Vale Valley, the, the Western project I referred to earlier that always had some ancillary components to it on either side of the hotel, uh, with some whole ownership condominiums. And so, uh, our division there has been working on finishing that project. We still have a couple more phases to go there. And then uh, we have a very strong division out in uh, Deer Valley, Utah, and have been completing a series of condominium projects out there, ski and ski out, that are kind of in the 20 to 40 unit range, uh, very similar to what we did back in the day in Bachelor Gulch, kind of that model of just going one at a time. And there's a lot of opportunity in that broader Deer Valley Park City area. Uh, it seems like there's a lot more development potential there than there is, say, in an Aspen snowmass market, which would lead you to, to be potentially supply con concerns there. But it has not been an issue yet because it seems like the new product that's coming on has been coming at a rate that the market can absorb. But there, there's a lot of new uh, resorts, I would say, being built out there. The Mayflower project is is this huge project that's basically a new ski resort adjacent to Deer Valley and maybe one day gets connected to Deer Valley. Um, there's another private ski resort. I'm, I don't know that I have the name right, but Wasatch something ski resort that's a whole new private ski resort being developed out there. So uh, I think you, the Utah market continues to have a lot of potential. 
we still have property management in Lake Tahoe. We're no longer developing anything there. So really at the moment, in terms of mountain resorts um, of active projects, it's Snowmass Aspen, Vale Valley, and Deer Valley. But we did very recently open a steamboat office and have a new managing partner there that came from Denver, and he's working closely with the ski company there to redevelop their base village, which is in dire need of improvement. Um, so that, that project is just getting underway. And then he's exploring some, some potential condominium hotel components that should be coming online there as well in the coming years. I think the Utah analogy or the Utah story is really interesting, right? There's, there it does seem like there's so much development happening in and around the Park City area in Deer Valley. And when I travel out there and I look around, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, there's just so much more development happening and the ability to do that development because there's much more pri- in private land holdings. You know, it does at, at some point does feel a little bit uh, oversupplied, but as you said, it doesn't seem to be impacting the market and they're, they're seeing the same kind of boom. And so, you know, Utah remains a boom economy. Are there other towns? I mean, I think you mentioned Steamboat, the the base village there needs an overhaul. And that's something that East West is going to take on as well. It sounds like, are there other resorts out there that you guys have your eyes set on, or you think is the next place that's really going to be uh, a mountain uh, community that's worth looking at? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we constantly get pinged by resort owners, landowners of, you know, come look at this, come look at that. So we're we're fairly familiar with the overall landscape. We are extremely selective about the opportunities we, we pursue because, as I mentioned before, there's some resorts where you just can't, it doesn't justify doing something like a snow based village. So as a company, we're very opportunity driven. Uh, we don't really sit down and strategically plan and say, uh, we, we like uh, Sun Valley or, or Whistler or whatever it may be. And Let's go set up a shop there and pursue opportunities there. The way the company has always entered into new markets is through relationships, through specific opportunities where, you know, we feel like there's enough substance to a project and enough of an opportunity where we can really create place, which sounds cheesy. It's such a cliche, but uh, that is truly what we try to do with Snowmass. Obviously, it's of a scale with this village where we can really make an imprint uh, and impact and, and create a whole sense of place uh, rather than just doing a one-off condominium here or there. So those types of opportunities of being able to create place like that are quite rare, but yeah, we're, we're constantly looking at things, but we, I don't, I wouldn't be able to give you one specific market right now that, that we're, you know, proactively going after, but we are in constantly always in discussions with, with numerous landowners and resort operators, just exploring opportunities. And I, I think there's still a lot out there that a lot of the easy ones have been done. So um, you are probably looking at more redevelopment type plays or, or looking at ski resorts that haven't seen a whole lot of development recently or ever. So it, it does start to become more challenging, but also more exciting. That makes a lot of sense. Does East West approach each of these other projects like Snowmass Basement with equity partners or is, is each project different? Uh, each project's kind of on its own standalone, but we, we have really strong relationships with a handful of capital providers in the resort sector. Uh, KSL Capital is kind of our, our most significant partner and 
in most deals that we would start the conversation with them. There, there are some projects that, you know, may not be a good fit for them, uh, may not be big enough or, or whatnot, but kind of our default, if we're looking at a resort style project is to, to connect with KSL to see if it's a good fit there. Um, but we, you know, we're now developing out in Hawaii. We're redeveloping the, the old St. Regis on the North shore of Kauai, which may be the best hotel site in America. And, uh, working closely with Starwood Capital, Barry Sternlich's group there to, to develop a new one hotel in that location. And that that's fully underway. So, um, we, we do work with other significant capital partners as well. And again, try to assess what the best fit is based on the project. And in some cases, uh, the, the capital partner themselves may bring us the project and, and say, we're looking for a development partner. Would East West be interested in this? And in those situations, you know, the capital partners already in place, essentially. Andy, do I get the sense that you might be raising your hand for the, the principal <laughs> project? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, we, have, we already have an incredible team out there. But it, it is an amazing place to visit. If you've never been, you should go. But wait until the hotel's done. Yeah, I've been there. It's a it's an amazing, amazing property and uh, one of the most beautiful locations on earth. So yeah, that, that's going to be an exciting place. one to watch. Uh, one of the projects here I want to dive into a little bit is is pretty exciting. Uh, you guys are I've just broken ground on a new condo building called Electric Pass Lodge, and it's not the typical mountain condo building. It's actually one hundred percent powered by renewable energy. I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of a how did how did that even come to be? How did you decide to attempt something like this in the mountain? There's seems like there's probably a lot of engineering and um, challenges that go with a project like that, which is pretty innovative. Yeah, so I was lucky enough very early on in my career to I don't even know how I got into this, but got in, into a presentation with uh, I always get the two brothers mixed up, Randy Udall, and uh, he was based out of the Roaring Fork Valley and was kind of this guru in green building, sustainable building, you know, before those terms were even thrown out or, or known. And his presentation was extremely powerful uh, and impactful on me. So very early on in my career, I've always had that in the back of my mind is we need to be pushing towards sustainability. And it, a lot of the things that were possible, you couldn't that were technically possible, you couldn't financially do because it was just too early, early on in the technology cycle and whatnot. But I, I would say East West as a company um, has been very proactive and in incrementally getting better and better and better over the years with sustainability. Almost all of our projects are LEED certified and we've kind of been really trying to do LEED gold as our new standard. We don't always achieve that. And in some cases, we've even gotten to LEED platinum, which is very difficult. But as part of that evolution and my education about sustainable building, I got onto the Sustainable Development Council at ULI, which is this great group of all these engineers and experts who are really at the forefront of sustainable building. And so we have meetings twice a year, hugely informative. And so in the last, I'd say, two, three years, a lot of the discussion amongst that group has been moving towards the electrification of buildings. And uh, the reason that's important is as renewable energy becomes kind of, the, hopefully over time, the primary source powering our grids, the only way to truly take advantage of that for the built environment is if our buildings are powered off of electricity and not natural gas. 
because natural gas is certainly cleaner burning than coal, but it's still a fossil fuel uh, that's burning and contributing to climate change. And so, you know, that that whole movement of uh, electrification is trying to get ahead of the greening of the grid so that we can really benefit from that. And so uh, I've been trying to educate myself as much as I can on that over the last few years. And in Snowmass, our first round of projects, Limelight, one Snowmass Lumen, all of those were tapped into the existing central plant in Base Village, which in and of itself is a very sustainable plant, but it is again, natural gas powered. So it's not, it's not a net zero situation. And Electric Pass Lodge was our first project in Base Village that's not tied into the central plant. So it was our first opportunity to pursue uh, a more innovative mechanical strategy. And so we, we went into that day one knowing that was our goal. And that, that's what you have to do if you're going to do this. Is You can't decide that six months down the road. It has to be decided day one. And so we, we got linked up with the right experts and engineers that know how to do this. Uh, have done a number of net zero buildings all over the country and really have been leaning heavily on them to, to figuring out how we make this happen. But it's been an incredible success. One of, one of the big tests with this is would the marketplace accept an all electric building, uh, especially for a luxury condominium project. And I mean, the results have been phenomenal. We've sold 36 out of 52 of those units in a matter of basically two, three months. Um, many of those sold before we even put a shovel in the ground. So uh, very encouraging to me that, that that type of model can work. And I, I do think it's something we need to be as a industry pushing towards uh, to really mitigate climate change. Because if you look at uh, carbon emissions, something like 40% are attributable towards buildings. So unless we get serious about how we're building and powering our buildings, really get making a dent in the climate change situation is going to be difficult. So what goes into a 100% electric building like the Electric Pass Lodge? What's going to be different about it from the ownership perspective uh, versus a traditional natural gas-powered condominium? Well, I guess the, the first goal is to, to minimize those differences because people are accustomed to those traditional gas-powered systems. And so we're trying to keep that user experience as consistent as we can. Um, obviously, you, you don't have a natural gas powered boiler and heating and all that type of stuff. It's all uh, done with electrical, but the key with it and to make it economical is to really spend your money on the building envelope. And again, this is where our engineers really guided us is basically you, you reallocate funds and costs that you would otherwise be spending on these expensive traditional mechanical systems. You put it into the building envelopes. You have, incredible insulation. You have triple pane windows that are filled with gas, all of these elements to, to make sure that we're holding temperature in the building as best we can. And so that's where you start. And then you start layering in, well, we still have to condition the space. So we have a, a series of earth tubes that, that are basically what they sound like. They're big tubes that go through the earth. They're actually being installed right now on the site and they draw air through and it's, it's kind of a geothermal type system, but not pure geothermal. But the, the earth, once you get down six feet or so, stays at a pretty constant temperature. And then you can use that temperature um, basically in summer and winter 
to precondition the air before, before it comes into the units so that you're not having to spend a ton of energy to get the temperature to where you want it. But once you get into the building, we still have um, you know, baseboard heaters in the unit, but they're not the old school, ugly 70s ones, they're the new, uh, very sleek baseboards that I think look great. So you've got baseboard heaters, heating space, and then we also have these, they call them heat recovery ventilators, HRVs. And what those do is as air is going out of the units, it grabs the temperature off of that outgoing air and transfers it into the incoming air so that we're using as much, we're basically recapturing as much heat as we can. And then you also have a little bit of a heating, an extra heating element in that HRV as well. So it gets very technical, but um, there's a lot of cool, innovative stuff going on. And again, I think people who are interested in this, the key is getting hooked up with the experts. We used a group out of Vancouver called Integral who are true gurus in this. And it is truly a science. I mean, they have to model this very carefully and make sure it's all going to work. So uh, I, I think it's very exciting. I think it's the future. And we're trying to be, we like to be at the forefront of that. We don't want to be at the bleeding edge where we're experimenting with things that may or may not work. So we want to make sure we're dealing with technologies that are proven and work. Uh, but it, it is exciting to be at the forefront of that movement. That's fascinating. Um, just hearing about, you know, just the cooling and heating systems uh, and how you work around that. And it, was that, is it particularly challenging in a mountain environment to do this? Um, is there a lot of proven use cases of this type of building or is this really uh, an innovative building? Yeah, there's been some more like affordable type projects in mountain communities that are pursuing electric, including some down in basalt that are under development or have just completed. And then Integral, the group I mentioned before, they've done net zero, uh, like in the Boulder area and on the front range. So similar climates, I mean, we have a bit more extreme climate here, but we also have great sun up here. So while we, while we do deal with cold temperatures, we have great sun and you can use that sun for solar gain, uh, for photovoltaic generation. So, it all comes down to the the science of it. You know, they they look at the temperatures and the extremes, and and basically have very complicated computer models that tell them, okay, if we have this type of insulation and we experience these temperatures for this amount of time, how much heating do we need? So they're able to contextualize it for the mountains. But it, I'm sure if they're doing a net zero building in Phoenix, that system is going to look much different than the one they're implementing here. No, that's fascinating. I really, really appreciate you giving us a download on that. And, uh, you know, I hope for that is the way of the future as more and more of these, you know, private homes and commercial um, multi-use properties, you know, achieve this type of efficiency in their projects. That's going to be good for everybody. And it's going to be ultimately good for the environment and, and probably a desirable luxury going forward. I think so. I, and again, the electric pass lodge was a great test case of you're seeing it in the electric car market, right? All of the high-end auto manufacturers, their number one focus right now is electric, and it really pioneered by Tesla, right? But they outperform gas cars, but it's also a sustainability question. And I think for the affluent, sophisticated buyer, many of those people are very environmentally conscious now, and they still want a second home. They don't want to sacrifice the luxuries that of life, but... They want to be trying to, to live that in as a sustainable fashion as they can. 
And so we've been saying that, you know, lug, sustainability now is a luxury value. And I, I truly believe that. So not all of the technologies make sense. And we, we have to be careful again to make sure the user experience is good. But I, I think it's a movement that's here to stay. And I think it's something that's needed and, and is beneficial. Uh, real quick, the other two things we were very focused on in designing Electric Pass Lodge was the fireplace and the, the cooktop, because those are two elements that people have a real emotional attachment to, especially in mountain homes. Fireplace is often the centerpiece of the great room. So those were the two pieces we were most concerned about. We spent a ton of time researching what's out there. Uh, we found this really cool uh, electric fireplace called Optimist, and it uses water vapor and LED lights to create this flame that frankly looks really good. And if you get up right on top of it, you can tell it's not a real flame, but it has its own really cool kind of vibe to it and it generates heat and it, the fire box itself looks identical to a, a gas burning fireplace. So you, when the fire is off, you wouldn't know the difference. Um, so we're very excited about that. And then on the cooktop, the, the new induction cooktops are truly incredible. And there are still some people who just very much like cooking on gas and and I understand that, but um, once you get to learn these induction cooktops, they're phenomenal. So Andy, you've you've done a lot in Base Village in a, in a fairly short amount of time, honestly. What's next up there? Can you give us a sneak preview on anything that's upcoming? Yeah, so we, we just broke ground on Electric Pass Lodge and, and the Havens. We talked about those two. And those are coming on the heels of the completion of the village core, which you alluded to in the intro, which was the limelight, the skating rink, and the collective and one snowmass. So kind of that the core, as we call it, which contains probably all the commercial and the, uh, the true public amenity spaces, all that's done. And now we still have a second phase of the Viceroy that's always been contemplated and actually has the foundations in already. Uh, and then there's another building right above that uh, called Building 12, nice name right and then there's two more buildings kind of across from electric pass lodge so we, we effectively have four more buildings in addition to these two we just started and so we are exploring as we speak um, conceptual design on building 12 and the second phase of the viceroy and then we're also taking a fresh look at uh, the other two buildings across from electric pass so uh, we, we have support from the partners to start advancing these next phases. I don't know exactly how they're going to end up sequencing out. If I had to guess, the next phase phases would be building 12 and the second phase of the Viceroy. Uh, but we still have a lot of work to do to, to get to the point where I can say that with any degree of certainty. You know, you mentioned commercial, you know, and I think that's something that you've pioneered a bit here in Snowmass and some of the other mountain developments that East West has undergone. What's your philosophy on, on a commercial mix that works in a seasonal community like a Snowmass? Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And I think it's evolved over time. And what's really challenging with Snowmass is that, you know, Aspen, you know, walking around Aspen, whether, whether or not you actually want to shop in the stores or can afford the items or whatnot, like the feel of that retail experience in Aspen uh, from the street front is so good. And so often people will compare it to that. And as I mentioned before, it's impossible to ever replicate that. So uh, we, we do have a fair amount of commercial in the village. And what we've been focusing on is more experiential type uh situations as opposed to traditional clothing retailers, that type of thing. 
And so what that means is we've, we've got a really good mix of food and beverage. We actually have two new restaurants under construction as we speak that will open before ski season. Uh, one of them's Kenichi, which many people may know out of Aspen, an amazing sushi uh, uh, operator. And then Orem, which uh, people here may not be familiar with, but they have two incredible restaurants in Steamboat and one in Breckenridge. We've never worked with them before, but we've developed a really good relationship with the owner. And I think that's going to be, those two are going to be an incredible addition to the, the base village culinary scene, adding on to you know, the crepe shack, the limelight, mix six and juice and all these other components. But generally what we've been trying to do in base village. And I, th I think in the other villages we've done as well is really find the, the great local operators and um, get them into the village. And that usually means that we're not necessarily maximizing the rent out of those spaces, but I, I think it's still the right thing to do. And I think it's beneficial so that overall feel of the village and the experience and, and frankly, how ultimately that leads to more real estate sales. If, if you're buying real estate in a village, I think you want a vibrant, eclectic village with local character, local flavors. And so that's what we've tried to cultivate in the village, but it, it is not easy. It's not like we're doing a cookie cutter strip centers where you just plug in the same tenants every time. And so finding the right local operators and the right mix is, is very challenging, but I, I think we're in a really good place now in the village, especially when these two new restaurants open, but you know, working with, with somebody like Mawa McQueen, who's been in Aspen for a long time. She's got Mawa's kitchen down by the airport. She is a phenomenal chef, um, amazing personality. And at her crepe shack has just been a huge hit. So things like that. And, you know, bringing Aaron King, uh, with King yoga up to the village again, he's a very strong operator has almost a cult like following in the Valley. Uh, so we did a whole deal with him, built him a new studio. He's been doing classes out on the rink with live music, but that whole scene is just growing and growing. So really trying to, to kind of grow it from local based grassroots people and not everything works out. And the, what I've always told our group is let's, let's try to do as best we can develop the best relationships we can, but don't be afraid to experiment. Uh, we can't be afraid to fail with, uh, certain events, activities, like, so we're basically treating the whole village as this really fun kind of laboratory of let's try all these things. And we're going to end up having a few hits and home runs and then we'll get behind those and other things may not work out and we'll, we'll let those ones go. So that, that's the approach we're taking. And so far I think it's, it's working well, but it, it does take a long time. You can't just flip a switch and all of a sudden you've got this this village that uh, the locals have embraced, the second homeowners have embraced. Like it takes time to build people's use patterns and their rituals of where they like to eat and whatnot. And so I, I think we're still at the early stages of that in Base Village, but I think we've we've set a great foundation now that can be built upon for many years here. I applaud you guys for you know honing in on the right uh, vendors in the village, and I've been impressed just you know spending time up there and just seeing that local mix of of great places like the Crepe Shack, like you mentioned, and some of these other experiential um, services and juice and all that stuff. It's it's really cool to see it come to life, and like you said, you know you've got it's not going to be an overnight home run. 
you've got to experiment, you've got to try different things. And you guys have tried a lot of things and you're seeing what works and both from an event standpoint and from a retail standpoint. And over time, I think you're going to find a success and, uh, and really create a great sense of place for all of Snowmass. Yeah. And to me, it's, it's almost like a fresh start right now because we, we opened the collective and, and that whole situation kind of a few months before the pandemic hit. So as far as I can tell, only starting basically now is the village going to, are we truly going to see what's possible in the village? And we have an amazing, um, events coordinator. She does much more than that. It's not even a good title, but she came from the Wheeler opera house and she, she's so creative and energetic and bringing all these different ideas and concepts and relationships to the village. She just did an amateur comedy competition last night. That was overflowing out of the collective. We had the doors open, people spilling out into the plaza. So, Again, that's just one example of getting the right people in place and unleashing them to to be creative and try things, and that's what we're all about. So, as a developer, you know, entering mountain communities, and you guys have done that in a lot of different places very successfully. How do you personally, and how does East West Partner? How do they give back to the community beyond the real estate and commercial offerings? Yeah, this really comes from the top. Over in the Vale Valley, Harry's been instrumental in the Vale Valley Foundation forever. I think he was chairman of it for quite some time. And that is a basically a philanthropy powerhouse over there that has all these different initiatives underneath it. And so I think the team just takes cues from that. Um, just watching Harry, the amount of time he puts in to that nonprofit, the amount of money he contributes to that and to other things. Uh, so he really sets the tone. And then as we move into other communities like the Roaring Fork Valley, we, we frankly have not been as involved as Harry has over there. It's more of just a time thing, but uh, we have been trying to make financial contributions to to the right organizations that we, we feel like are doing good work and um, trying to spread our, we, we allocate funds you know, every year to, to local charitable organizations and try to get behind those that seem like they're doing great things. We, we do try to keep as much focused in snow mass as we can. Obviously Aspen has a ton of wealth there and great organizations there as well, but we want to make sure that we're giving priority to the, the snow mass organizations that are doing great work uh, right in our backyard here. So final question, you know, I love to ask my, my guest, um, you know, sort of what's their prediction. If you're going to look in your crystal ball, what do you see kind of the back half of 21 and heading into 22 in your world? I think my basic answer is more of the same, but obviously we're not going to see the same level of transactions we saw last year because the inventory is now so constrained. But I, I don't think we're going to see a tailing off of the demand. Some people have speculated, well, you know, as cities reopen and the pandemic's easing and everything are these folks that purchased in the last 18 months or so and spending a lot of time in the resort communities, are they going to basically move back to the cities? And then if they do that, are they going to decide, oh, well, why don't we just sell the Aspen place now? Um, maybe some of that will happen, but just my personal guess is that more of those people will just say, well, we, we now have this great place in Aspen. And so let's keep that place and maybe we'll rent it while we're not there. So I don't, think we're going to see this kind of resurgence of supply come on, but I, I could be wrong. Maybe that'll happen. So I think my 
baseline would just be kind of a continuation of the demand, probably not as frenzied as last summer, mainly again, because of the inventory constraints, but I think it's going to continue to be robust here, at least for the foreseeable future. Andy, this has been a great conversation. I love what you guys are doing in the world of sustainability and in programming and commercial and in really adding a lot of vitality and character to Snowmass in a which was a honestly it was a, a daunting task and you you've accomplished it in a you know four and a half years and there's so much great uh, things happening up there now and, and a lot uh, to be excited about going forward. If a listener wants to learn more about what you guys have going on, what's the best way to do that? Well, we have uh, our office, East West Partners office is right there in the village. We're usually there and people can come in and chat with us and we, we also have an amazing sales gallery set up at the top of the village there kind of near the the village express across from slice pizza and we have a full-scale model of the entire village in there the the huge model and and that's really the best way for for folks to see the village and see what's coming with the full build out and explain it and we always have folks uh, available in that gallery to to explain to people what we're doing so I think that type of in-person communication is always going to be the best thing. Uh, we do have a, a really good website for the village that is uh, all in snowmass.com. Uh, I think you can also access it by snowmassbasevillage.com now. And, and that is kind of our umbrella website that has all of our different projects under it. So that's a good digital resource as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Selling the Mountains. You'll never miss an episode if you subscribe or follow the show. If you liked what you heard, please leave a short review and share it with a friend. For more information about Selling the Mountains, including feedback, suggestions, or sponsorship opportunities, please visit sellingthemountains.com and sign up for our newsletter. You can follow the show on Instagram or Facebook at Selling the Mountains. You can follow the host on Twitter at Christian Knapp or on Instagram at Napstagram. This show was produced in collaboration with Dustin H. James at Podborder. Selling the Mountains is a production of Moment of Truth, LLC. All rights reserved.